Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. I know you guys are still in the market for some great national championship gear, and there is no better place to find said gear than Alumni Hall. You can check them out in-store inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. You guys know the drill. I am your host, Tyler. It is January 24th, and it is Finally, time to talk Georgia basketball here on the Glory UGA podcast. I've been wanting to get to this episode to do this, talk about Georgia basketball for the last, oh, I don't know, month or so. I've made that pretty clear over the past couple of weeks saying, hey, today I wanted to talk Georgia basketball, but something came up. And that something, of course, was Georgia football, obviously, with the football team making a historic back-to-back national title run, making all of our dreams come true, any basketball talk, as much as I might have wanted to get to it, had to take a backseat. It just had to. But today, I think we're far enough removed from the national championship football talk, and we've covered that in enough different ways, that we were able to carve out a little bit of time here on this episode to talk some Georgia basketball. Please do not worry. We are not moving on from Georgia football. You longtime listeners know this. You know this. You've been around for a while. But for some of our newer listeners that we picked up this season, first off, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us. Just to let everyone know out there, in case you don't know, on the Glory UGA podcast, we will never move on from Georgia football. That's never going to happen. At the very minimum, We will have at least one football-centric episode every single week during the offseason to give you that football fix. We will not let you guys down. Most of the time, honestly, it's going to be two football episodes per week, especially as we move further and further along the offseason and the 2023 season gets closer and closer. There really is no offseason for this podcast. We don't go dark for six, seven months waiting for... August to get here before we start covering Georgia football again. That's not what we do. We live this. We breathe this. We do this year round. Even when I go on vacation this summer, I will always have episodes prepped, prepared, ready to load up for you guys while I'm gone. There is not a week that's going to go by that you will not have Georgia football on this podcast. We cover it 52 weeks a year. So for those of you who might not be as into other Georgia sports, and look, I know there's a lot of you out there. Don't worry. 
Georgia football is going to be a fixture on this podcast all year long, even the offseason. That's just what we do. But saying that, as much as all of us out there love Georgia football, and guys, make no mistake about it, football is my passion. It's 1,000% the sport I am most passionate about, and it's really not even close. But I'm also not just a Georgia football guy. I am a Georgia guy. That's who I am. That's what I am. And I follow all of our sports, all Georgia sports, very closely. Admittedly, some more than others based on my personal sporting interest. But the bottom line is, if you rock the G, I'm all about you. I've got your back. And with football winding down, we can say that, right? It's at least winding down for a couple of months. This does give us the chance. We've got a little bit of a window here to shine the spotlight on some of the other sports and student athletes on campus that very much deserve our support and don't always get as much support, rarely get as much support as the football team does. So during the offseason, while we continue to cover Georgia football, because we're always going to do that, we are also going to bring you coverage of all sorts of different sports, Georgia basketball, Georgia baseball, Georgia tennis. Those of you who've been around for a while, you know I love my Georgia tennis. And who knows, maybe even a little Georgia softball. We'll try to mix it up a little bit for you guys. So if you are one of those people, and I know you're out there, because I've heard from a lot of you, and I know some of my friends are doing this here in town. If, if you found yourself kind of just staring blankly at a wall over the past week or two, now that the national championship has come and gone, kind of wondering what exactly you're going to do with yourself to pass the time until the 2023 football season hits. I know a lot of you have been there. If, if that's you, give some of these other sports a shot that we're going to cover here on this podcast. Don't be that guy who just dismisses them out of hand. I, I have some friends like that. I'm like, guys, look I, look, I love Georgia football more than anything, right? But hey, there's other things going on on campus too that are really awesome and that you can really get into. It can kind of give you something to to kind of invest some time into while you're waiting for football to get here. So all I'm saying is have an open mind. And if you have an open mind about some of these other sports that maybe you haven't really paid much attention to, I can almost guarantee that you will get into them. Whether it's a winter sport or spring sport, I can almost guarantee that you will get into it. But anyway, today is all about Georgia basketball. I'm calling this a midseason report. That's not exactly accurate because we are a little bit past the midseason, but it's close enough to, to get by with calling it a midseason report. Semantics, right? That doesn't really matter. Whatever. It's close enough. What matters is that Georgia basketball is fun again. And I am crazy excited about it. I've had a lot of fun really since the season started just watching this team and watching Mike White do his thing and watching how much that we have improved compared to where we were last year, really at any point in the Tom Crean era, but certainly over last year's just face plant of a season, just an absolute embarrassing disaster of a season. But I'm crazy excited about it that Georgia basketball is fun again. You've probably heard me say this a couple of times over the past month, but I am, guys, I am a huge college basketball fan. If I was to rank like my personal sports power rankings, it would probably go something like this. It would be college football number one, far and away, no questions asked. That is what I live for. Then number two would be college basketball. Number three, this might surprise some of you out there, would be college tennis. I know that sounds crazy to most of you, but living here in Athens, I'm able to go to every single Georgia men's and women's tennis match, and I absolutely love it. I've actually traveled down to Lake Nona a couple of times in the past couple of years to attend the national championship tournament or the NCAA tournament. The women were in the national championship a couple of years back and fell ever so slightly short to Stanford, and that was so much fun, guys. I love 
college tennis, college baseball is number four. You see the theme here? College, 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 college. I'm a college guy. And then once we get into the into the pros, I would go NFL because I'm a football guy. Um, then NBA and then Major League Baseball would probably be pulling up the rear for me. Hockey, I watch a little bit in the postseason, but not much. I don't even watch enough hockey for that to even be on the list. But that's what it would be. College football, college basketball, college tennis, college baseball, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. That's my list. I guess I'd also throw the, the pro tennis tournament ATP tour on there as well. Probably, honestly, that'd probably be before Major League Baseball. I know that's blasphemous to most of you. I was a big Braves fan growing up, but I just, I kind of lost interest in Major League Baseball for a long time. It's just, it the thing with, with Major League Baseball is like, following your team is cool. Like, I still watch the Braves right now. Now, the whole thing with Bally Sports, and I have YouTube TV, so I can only watch, like, a handful of games all year long unless I'm out at a bar or something. So that is also kind of put a little bit of damper in it. I still follow them on ESPN and, like, check out box scores and all that, but it's not the same. But with baseball, it's like, I... like. I'm not interested in other teams. Like I do not care about what's going on with the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mariners. Like you can turn on a game if the Braves aren't playing. I have absolutely zero interest in watching it. I do not care whatsoever. Like it is boring to me. But with college, like even college baseball, I find other now college baseball I'm not as into as again college basketball, college football, whatever. But college football, college basketball, especially even college baseball, I don't care who's playing. If it's on, I am into it. And I will watch it closely and I watch it all weekend long into the week. The college basketball guys, I watch college basketball every single night right now during the college basketball season. I'll watch it every single night. I watch probably, I don't know, man, 15 to 20 college basketball games a week, something like that. I'll probably watch between six to seven, eight games. And guys, remember, I have YouTube TV, so I don't watch these things live. I I, I fast forward through the commercials. That's how I can watch more games. I know that's crazy to a lot of you, but that's kind of how I do things. That's how I can watch all these games because I can watch them in like an hour as opposed to sitting there for two hours waiting through commercials. So yeah, I watch about six or seven on Saturday. Probably watch another three or four on Sunday. Uh, big Monday, college basketball is usually like two games on. So I'll watch usually the seven o'clock game, maybe some of the nine o'clock game before I fall asleep. Tuesday, I probably watch two or three games. Wednesday, another two or three games. Thursday is usually one or two games I'll put on. Thursday's not a big night for college basketball. On Friday, I'm usually at a bar somewhere and there's a game on. Now usually the Big Ten or the Big East has a game on. So I watch a lot of college basketball just like I watch a lot of college football. I love college sports. That's that's what I'm about. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Got off track there a little bit. College basketball is way up there for me in my personal sports power rankings. It's number two. So as a guy that loves college basketball as much as I do, it is just awesome, man. I am so excited that Georgia basketball is once again fun. Because last year, guys, it wasn't fun. I suffered through every single game. It was really hard to do that. Times I was like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. But I did it. I suffered through it. And it is just awesome to be on the other side of that now. We are a little bit more than halfway through the season at this point. But man, we can already say unequivocally, what a freaking turnaround. And I'm not telling anyone anything you don't already know. Like, you guys know this. I don't need to recap all this. Obviously, we have a new head coach. Mike White comes over from Florida, making the the, the weird, strange, rare move from one rival to the other. But going from Florida to Georgia, replacing Tom Crean, who was, um, I mean, guys, let's just say what it was. It was an abject disaster. It was an experiment. We tried it. When we first hired Tom Crean, I was I was certainly open to it. I was actually kind of somewhat excited about it because he's a guy who I know it kind of did, it didn't end well in Indiana, but had gone to a Final Four. And for Georgia to get a coach that had taken a team to a final four that's that's a step up right he had some success indiana was a one seed at one at point what one point won the big 10 i know obviously didn't 
live up to their expectations, but kind of who has since Bob Knight in Indiana, to be honest with you. So I was excited for us to get him. I thought that was an upgrade over Mike White. I was wrong. I, I will own that. I was wrong. It did not work out. I really wanted Thad Mata. He's the guy that was number one on my list back then. That didn't happen, uh, whether it was health issues or he just didn't want to come to Georgia, contract issues, whatever. We got Tom Crean, and we all know how that worked out. When Mike White was hired shortly after the regular season, or I guess our, our season ended with our uh, loss in the, in the SEC tournament last March, within a week or so, we hired Mike White. And there were some Georgia fans who were, who were cool with it, who were excited about it, but a lot of fans out there, at least some of the vocal ones that you see on social media, we're pretty tepid about it. It was a pretty tepid response among quite a few people in the Georgia fan base. And I think that was in large part, as we talked about when we made that hire last year, there are a lot of Florida fans out there who were, who proclaimed to be happy that we were taking the, taking Mike White off their hands and kind of pointing and laughing at us. And a lot of Georgia fans were like, man, like, why do we want a guy that Florida fans don't want? Like that whole classic thing. And sometimes that can be true and then there can be something to that. In this case, I, I didn't really buy it. Because as far as I was concerned, it was very much a classic case of you don't want to be the guy who follows the legend. And that's what happened at Florida with Mike White following Billy Donovan. Guys, the court at Florida is named after Billy Donovan. It is Billy Donovan Court. He is a legend at Florida. Back-to-back national titles, well, like a decade or so ago now. So whoever followed him was essentially set up for failure. And that happened to be Mike White. Because the bottom line is when you follow a legend like that, if you are not him, you are not good enough. If you're not producing at that level where the expectations are, you are seen as a failure. And the thing is, that guy, Billy Donovan, and in, in, in plenty of other situations in, in college sports history, this has been the case, but that guy became a legend because he established an almost impossible standard, right? Like two national titles, back-to-back national titles. That's impossible to keep up. Like that's not something that his successor is going to be able to keep up with. So was Mike White Billy Donovan? No, uh, Absolutely not. Of course not. But who out there in the landscape of college basketball was going to be? That list is very, very small. And we weren't going to get one of those guys like that. That's just not where our basketball program was as a program. It's just not where we were. But if you really look at it objectively, by objective measures, Mike White had a lot of success at Florida. Four straight NCAA tournament bursts, made it to an Elite Eight, won at least one game every time he got into the NCAA tournament put up four straight 20-win seasons at Florida. Would have been five if there was no pandemic. They were pretty good in that COVID year. Uh, signed multiple five stars. Recruiting, it's, it's different in college basketball, but it's still it's still the name of the game, right? You got to get players. Uh, he also won his fair share of big games against, against the best competition. Beat Auburn a couple times when they were riding high. But again, whatever kind of success he had was always going to be measured against Billy Donovan, and he was not Billy Donovan, did not win back-to-back titles. So it's just like if Kirby Smart announced that he was leaving for the NFL tomorrow, like knock on wood, like let's not put those vibes out there. But let's just say, for example, if Kirby announced that tomorrow, hey guys, I'm going to the NFL, I'm going to, I'm going to go coach the Colts or whatever. Whoever replaced him and didn't win at his level would be run out of town because Kirby has established impossible expectations. Whoever follows Kirby, whenever that happens, is not going to win at the same level as Kirby Smart, at least like if, if they followed him right now. They're not going to win back-to-back national titles. That's highly, highly, highly unlikely. And because that's the expectation now among our fan base, as unrealistic as it is, you're going to see whoever replaces him as less than Kirby Smart, therefore a disappointment. And then once that guy leaves and the expectations have been brought back down to like a, a, a real, more realistic level, whoever follows him 
is going to be the guy that you're going to love because you're going to he's going to raise those expectations higher, maybe win another national title, so on and so forth. That's why you always want to be the guy who follows the guy who follow the legend because you don't want to be that first guy because those expectations are oftentimes impossible to meet. But regardless, I was I was very excited about the the Mike White hire for again a program like Georgia. And I love I love University of Georgia guys. I love Georgia athletics. But you have to be honest sometimes where our program was after the Tom Crean debacle. Guys, we were six and twenty six last year. We won one SEC game. We were one and seventeen. You are not going to be able to go out and hire a big time, highly successful coach. It's it's really hard to do that. Like to go get like look, we're not gonna go get, you know, John Calipari. Clearly, we're not gonna get a guy like that. We're not gonna get Mark Few. We're not gonna get Hubert Davis. We're not gonna get Bill Self, those kind of guys. So absent that, like what's the next tier of guy that we can get? I think Mike White was a home run hire for our program where we were. To get a guy that was as successful as he was at Florida, I read off some of those accomplishments. To get a guy like that, I think that's a home run. Like Josh Brooks hit that out of the park and it's already paying dividends in year one. The guy has done an incredible job in just one short year. He's reshaped the roster. It's still very much a work in progress. He hit the portal really hard. We're going to go over the roster and and we're going to actually talk about pretty much every guy that plays in just a couple of minutes here, but he's done a really good job in a short amount of time hitting the portal and trying to reshape this roster, retaining some key players as well, like Kerry Oquindo and Jabri Abdurrahim. But most importantly, more than reshaping the roster, because that's still a work in progress and it's going to be work in progress for a year or two, he's spent this year establishing a culture and establishing expectations within this program. And I think that's more than anything where Tom Crean went wrong. Our culture was toxic, guys. There was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and it was not pretty. Um, Things got pretty testy and pretty uh, tense between the players and and Tom Crean uh, as as his tenure went on, especially last year. We had a ton of dudes transferring out, Katie Johnson being one of those who now plays for Auburn. And there's a reason for that, right? And there, I think also expectations were were out of out of whack under Tom Crean because defensively there were no expectations. That was the major problem. We didn't have as much of a problem scoring points. Like we had, we ran a really up tempo, fast paced offense under Tom Crean, but defensive wise, there were no expectations. You were allowed to just go out there and, and like just do whatever, play that Ole defense. We let them run right by you. No help defense. Terrible on ball defense. Not paying attention. Terrible ball screen defense, terrible transition defense. It was all bad. And we turned the ball over like that was actually the goal. It seemed like watching our games last year that we were actively trying to turn the ball over. And that was part of what we were doing offensively. You know, Tom Crean had this kind of fun, up-tempo, fast-paced offense, which at first I was into. It's like, yeah, let's do this. I like this. Push the pace. Let's let's attract some high-level recruits who want to have a little more freedom offensively. But the problem was, far too often... We were trying to go fast just for the sake of going fast and getting shots up that were not good shots. Too many guys had the green light to take just ridiculous shots. Again, no expectations there, no accountability on that end. And I think that's really where he went wrong, along with just the culture being very, very toxic within the basketball program. So it has been a, a staggering turnaround, to say the least. Again, we were 6-26 last year, guys. 1-17 in SEC play. You go back to year one. If you want to compare year one, of, of Tom Crean to year one of, of Mike White. Tom Crean in year one was 11 and 21 and 2 and 16. Our program was in a much better place when he took over. 
it was time to move on on from Mark Fox. I I was a Mark Fox fan. I thought he was a real. I still think he's a really good basketball coach. He just cannot recruit. Um, he just really, really, really struggles there. He did not get enough big time players. Had a few guys here and there. Obviously, Contavious Caldwell Pope, the Charles Mann, Kenny Gaines class was a good class, but could not consistently recruit at a high enough level to be able to compete for NCAA tournaments at the highest level in college basketball. It just wasn't happening for him. He was a really good defensive coach. I thought he put the shackles on the team a little bit too much offensively, but I do have a lot of respect for him as an actual coach of basketball. And and we were always right around 500, slightly above 500, but just barely missing out on the tournament, making the NIT. So the program was in much better shape, honestly, when Tom Cream took over. In his first year, he was 11-21 and 21 and 2-16 and 16 in the SEC. Compare that right now to Mike White year one. Right now, again, Season's still not over, a little bit more than halfway through the season, but we are 13 and 5 overall and 3 and 2 in the SEC. I'm not happy about losing at home to Vanderbilt on Saturday. That was a tough one to swallow. That's a game that we need to win because we have a, we have a pretty tough schedule here ahead of us. We got to go to Tennessee tomorrow on Wednesday depending on when you're listening to this, but Wednesday night, Tennessee's the top 5 team in the country, guys. They are really really good. We are almost certainly not going to win that game. Although we did play well at Kentucky. We led by double digits for large, for a chunk of the first half there. And we were up by eight at halftime. Uh, was that last Tuesday? And then just kind of folded in the second half. I mean, Kentucky's not as good as Tennessee. Okay, although Kentucky did go to Thompson Bowling and beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. So I don't know. They're they're both really talented teams. But, you know, we're, we're probably not going to beat Tennessee. Um, we've got to go to Texas A&M in a couple of weeks. We've got to go to Alabama here shortly. If you haven't been paying attention to college basketball, guys, Alabama also top five. They are a legitimate national title contender. They have one of the best freshmen, probably the best freshman in the country, a guy named Brandon Miller, who might be the first pick in the NBA draft. I, I think he's certainly in that conversation. So we have some some tough games that we are almost certainly not going to win coming up. So teams like Vanderbilt, who are kind of in the middle of the pack to the, to the bottom end of the SEC, those are games that we need to win, especially at home. Like you can't lose that game. Uh, our best player, Terry Roberts, our point guard, got in foul trouble early in that game, only played like 25 minutes in the game, and we lost by, ended up losing by three points. And I think if he plays his normal 35, 34 minutes a game, we probably win that game, but it didn't work out that way. Way. And uh, that was a tough one. But still, regardless, we are 13 and 5. We are 3 and 2 in the SEC. We doubled our overall win total and our conference win total on the same night uh, back on January 11th when we beat Mississippi State at home, which was, that was, I was at that game. It was an ugly, ugly basketball game. But that's a game that we don't win last year. This year under Mike White, we do. We, we won that basketball game. But it, it's been a clear turnaround. I don't want to make this like a super statistic-driven episode. I just want to kind of talk some Georgia basketball, but do have some numbers here just to kind of illustrate the progress that we've made more than just looking at the record. The record tells you what you need to know, but there's more to it than that. So uh, Ken Palm, if you don't follow a lot of college basketball, Ken Palm is a widely accepted metric that um, people love, right? And the NCAA tournament supposedly doesn't really use Ken Palm. They use the net ranking or whatever, but Ken Palm, if you're trying to compare teams, it is a really, really accurate measure. You can look at Ken, the overall Ken Palm numbers. And Ken Palm, what that means is it's a dude named Kenneth Pomeroy. And he built this formula, built a site, and it, again, widely accepted among the people who cover college basketball. But it'll give you an overall ranking, a defensive ranking, offensive ranking, um, all that kind of stuff. It goes more in detail than that. There's a luck factor to it. So I'm not going to go into all that, but just give the basics here. Ken Palm, last year in 2021, we were 219th in the country. Right now in 2022, we are 92nd. So significantly better. Ken Palm defense, this is where we made the biggest strides. We were so bad defensively last year, guys. Last year, we were 318th nationally. 
out of 363 teams that play Division One college basketball in Ken Palm's defensive ratings. This year, we're top 100. We're number 80 nationally. That is, I mean, that is an astronomical leap in one year. Ken Palm offensively, again, last year, like, we weren't bad offensively last year. We just weren't especially good. We were top 100, barely. We were number 100 in Ken Palm offense last year. This year, we've taken a slight step back offensively to number 116, which that's not altogether surprising with some of the roster turnover that we had. Also, with us running um, more of a constrained offense and, and not as up-tempo, not trying to, to run up and down the court as much and put up as many points. Um, turnovers per game, we've improved here. Not as much as I would like. We still turn the ball over a little too much at times, but that is primarily because we don't have enough ball handlers on our team. We still, Again, we're still trying to build out this roster. We've, we've made improvements. So last year, we were terrible turning the ball over, 314th nationally in turnovers per game. This year, we're a little bit better, 263rd nationally. Still, again, not where we need to be, but it's it's improvement. Um. Outside of defense, maybe the, the 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 next most significant improvement is rebounding. Last year, 284th nationally. This year, we're all the way up to number 31 nationally in rebounding. So, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Any way you look at it, guys, we are a much better basketball team. I and mean, we're talking significant improvement. And that is what's making George basketball fun again. We are competitive, guys. Even the games that we aren't winning, we are competitive. You know, we lost to UAB in a tournament earlier in the year, but we were up most of that first half. If you guys, I know you say UAB. UAB is a solid basketball program right now, guys. Andy Kennedy, who used to coach Ole Miss, is coaching UAB right now. They have this dude named Jelly Walker, who's one of the highest scorers in all of college basketball. We were up most of the first half in that game, and we lost on the second half. Jelly Walker kind of contained him in the first half. He went wild in the second half, and he dropped over 30 points in that game. Uh, Kentucky, you know, we lost. I mentioned Kentucky earlier. We lost to them. In Rupp Arena, yeah, we lost. The final score was like a 14-point margin, the 85-71. But we were up at we were up by eight at halftime. Unfortunately, they kind of got things together. We started turning the ball over, and it was a disaster in the second half. We lost 51-29. to But for large chunks of that game, we were competitive, even though we lost that one. Uh, we lost to Florida uh, earlier, what, a couple of weeks ago. We lost that one by seven on the road to the Gators, who, who were kind of struggling at the time. They're looking more and more like an NCAA tournament team right now. That's another game that we were up for most of the first half and even 
chunks of the second half. We beat Auburn, who is a who is a top twenty five team, or at least when we beat them, they were it was a ranked win. We lost to Georgia Tech, which is a bad loss. Tech is terrible, guys. They are awful in the ACC. That was a two point game though on the road in Atlanta. And that game was decided by an absolutely horrific charge call at the end. It should have been a block call. It should have been an and one. We hit the bucket. That would have tied the game. We would have, it was like with five seconds left, maybe actually less than that. And when we, our best player had a shot, had a free, would have had a free throw. We would have won the game by one point if he, if he knocks that down. Instead, they call a charge and just an absolutely horrific call. I mean, I know block charge is a tough call for officials to make. It wasn't even close. It was 100% a block, but we lost that game. But still, we were competitive in that game. Last year, guys, we were not competitive. We were getting murdered by opponents. Again, it was hard to watch. It was an exercise in masochism to watch that basketball team last year. So there has been a lot of improvement. But saying that, I'm also objective here. I understand that this team is not an NCAA tournament team. You can tell by those numbers I write off. Are, are we improved? Yes. But like 92nd in Kimpom, 80th in Kimpom defense, 116th in Kimpom offense, that all that's imp- well, most of that's improvement except for the Kim Palm offense, but it's still not good enough to be an insulate tournament team. Maybe we will end up being an NIT team. I've tried to kind of like look at the rest of the schedule and project out. I think we have a shot if we continue to, to play well and continue to improve and, and guys start to f- kind of figure out their roles a little bit more. I think we have a shot to maybe kind of possibly go 500 in the SEC to get to 99. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. We're going to have to upset a team or two there. But I, I still think like 8 and 10 is is reasonable. But to get to the NIT, like you need to be like at least 500 in conference. Usually, you need to be at least 500. That's not going to be enough for us to get into the NCAA tournament. Because right, guys, we're, I know you look at our record, and you're like, okay, we're 13 and five, or three and two in the SEC. You look at some of these other teams out there in the SEC. You look at like Texas A&M; they're 13 and six overall. So how are they in the NCAA tournament conversation? But we're not. Like Kentucky's 13 and six overall. They're four and three in the SEC. How are they in the conversation? And I, I actually I had it wrong. We're not three and two. No, we're three and three in the SEC now, guys. I had that wrong because we lost to Vanderbilt. We're now three and three. I was working on this this episode a couple of weeks ago, and we hadn't played Vanderbilt yet, so I need to update that. But now, just hit me. We are now three and three in the SEC. But you look at some teams like Kentucky, who are like thirteen and six, four and three. How are they? Like they're on the fringe of the NCAA tournament talk. They're like last four in right now. But why aren't we there? Because our schedule isn't good enough, guys. It's just that simple. We have one of the lower strengths of schedule in the SEC. We have not played much of anybody. The best one that we have is a home win against Auburn, who who is an NCAA tournament team. We we beat Notre Dame in Atlanta in a neutral site game. Uh, a couple of about what about a month or so ago, that was during the break between the uh, SEC championship game and the college football playoffs. But Notre Dame is not good. Um, Mike Bray's already stepped down. Like he's still coaching, but he's gonna step down at the end of the season. I thought that at the time it might be a decent win for us. I mean, it's, it's a it's a okay win, but it's, that's not a great win. So those our best wins are Auburn at home, Mississippi State at home, and Notre Dame. Right now, one of those teams is an NCAA tournament team. So uh, we just don't have the schedule. And that's not like anyone's fault. Like we knew like college basketball scheduling is a little bit different than college football scheduling. You do it year by year pretty much. And based on the type of team you think you're going to have, you try to schedule wins, right? Like we knew that we weren't going to be a, a great team right away with so much roster turnover and kind of reshaping the roster. So we scheduled pretty light early on. And that helped us kind of run up some wins against some, like we won those games. Like we were not beating some of those teams last year. And you go back to, to last year, let's look at some of these teams that we lost to last year. We lost to Wofford, who's, who's a really good program. They're not, I mean, they're not a, 
a Power 5 program, but that's a, a good lower-level program, a, a good um, mid-major program. George Mason, we lost George Mason. We lost to East Tennessee State. We lost to Gardner-Webb. We did not lose any teams like that this year. So again, improvement, all right? We don't have a strong strength of schedule. That's why we're not really in, in the NCAA tournament conversation right now. For us to get there, we're going to have to knock off some teams. Like We're going to have to beat some high-profile teams. We're going to have to win at, at a place like Tennessee tomorrow night. We're going to have to win Alabama. We're going to have to beat Kentucky at home. We're going to have to beat a beat Missouri. Like, we're going to have to beat some of these higher-profile teams being that conversation. I'm not saying that this team can't do it. I just think it's highly unlikely. Just trying to be objective here. I think it's highly unlikely. I'm I'm obviously rooting for it, and I'm not going to lie. There's been times, you know, early in the season, you know, after well, after we beat Auburn, after we beat Mississippi State, I'm like, oh, okay, like, do we have something here? Like, maybe can we can we do this? And like, we're up by eight against Kentucky at the half in Lexington. It's like, oh, like maybe maybe we can do this. I and mean, now I've kind of come back down to earth, and I realize like that's not realistic. But the thing is. That's never what this team was going to be. That really wasn't what this year was about. Of course, like you want that, but if we made the NCAA tournament, any kind of success we had like that was was going to be gravy this year. This year was about building the foundation of this program so that tournament bids become routine in the future. And that's exactly what we're doing. This year is about making the program more attractive to future prospects. That's guys coming out of high school. That's guys coming out of the transfer portal because the portal is a huge deal in college basketball. As big as, it, as big as it is in college football, you can turn your entire roster over, like literally your entire roster over in one year and go from what we were last year to where we are now, which is obviously significant improvement. So it's about doing that, establishing the culture, establishing expectations, generating investment from the fan base, and just all around generating positive vibes in the program, which is something that we were certainly lacking under Tom Crean, especially in those last couple of years. But the reason we are not an NCAA tournament team yet is that the roster still is not quite there. We have some good players. We just don't have enough of them right now. Um, I think I think that Mike White did a really good job in a short amount of time to build the roster the best they could, especially trying to attract guys to a program that was six and twenty six and one and seventeen in SEC play. I thought he did a very admirable job. The best player on the team is a transfer from Bradley. He's, a, he's our point guard. His name is Terry Roberts. If you have not watched this play, you need to watch this play. Like Terry, Terry is a good player. He's small, but the dude can ball out. I mean, he can flat out play. He's got a lot of game. He can make things happen off the dribble. He's got a nice three point shot. He can do a. He's got a little step back three point shot. He can finish around the rim and finish like really difficult shots. He also does a great job distributing to teammates and creating for for other players on the court. He's one of the top guys in assists in the entire SEC. He is a hundred percent our best player. He's averaging 15 points a game for the season, but in SEC play, he's turning it up a notch. He's averaging almost 20 points a game, 19.5 points per game. Again, I mentioned earlier, he got in foul trouble against Vanderbilt on Saturday, and he had to sit for most of the first half with two fouls, which I always hate that. I really hate when coaches, when college basketball coaches sit players in the first half when they get two fouls. To me, it's it, it, it's nonsensical. It makes no sense to me. I understand what you're trying to do. You, you don't want the guy to get the third foul because you want him in the second half. But when you sit him in the first half, what you're doing is you're guaranteeing that he is going to miss a large portion of the game. If you let the guy play, there's a chance that you won't have to sit him. Maybe he won't get that foul. Maybe he does. And if he does, then sure, sit him. But give the guy a chance. Because if you take him out, like let's say he picks up a second foul with... 
12 minutes to go in the first half and you sit in for the rest of the first half, you're guaranteeing there's 12 minutes in that game where your best player is not on the court. Whereas if you let the guy play with two fouls, I know he's got to be careful. I know it's a risk. I understand that. But there's also a chance that he does not pick up that third foul and you don't have to sit him for those 12 minutes and you have your best player in the court. And when you lose by three, you're like, oh, maybe we wouldn't have lost by three if our best player's on the court. And that's not a Mike White thing. That is something that a lot of college basketball coaches do. And every time I see it, I'm like, what are you doing? That is dumb. I just, I personally do not agree with it. I think it's illogical. But Terry's been awesome in SEC plays, averaging almost 20 points a game, 19 and a half points per game. He's leading the team in scoring. He's also leading the team in assists. He's also third on the team in rebounding, and he's a, he's not a big guy. He's really not, so that's impressive. Uh, he plays a lot of minutes. He plays over 30 minutes a game. He is 100% our best player. He is the one player that we have on this team that can consistently create his own shot. And shot creation, guys, I think is the most important skill in all the basketball, NBA, college basketball, whatever. You've got to be able to create your own shot and create for others if you want to be an elite player. And Terry might not be an elite player because he's not an elite athlete, but this dude is producing at an extraordinarily high level for us. His running mate in the backcourt is Cario Aquindo, who was a guy that was on the team last year. Cario, so Terry is the best player in terms of like productivity on the team, like in terms of actual like basketball skill. He's the best player. It, it's it's obvious to me. Cario Aquindo is the guy that has the highest ceiling. Terry is not the athlete that Cario is. Cario is an elite athlete. And he's gotten better. Last year, he was, you could see it. You could see those flashes of athleticism. When this guy can jump out of the building, I mean, he is freakishly athletic. But the problem for him last year is he dealt with an injury about midway through the year. And it's still kind of an issue for him, not, not the injury, but this is his problem this year. He doesn't always know what to do with the basketball. So when I talk about shot creation, Terry Roberts is borderline elite at that at the college level. Cario struggles there. He has so much athleticism. He's oozing with ability, but he hasn't quite harnessed it yet. He's still got to polish his basketball game up. He entered the transfer portal after last year. I thought he was gone, and I was like, God, that sucks. I know how much potential this guy has. He wasn't there last year. He had a really good end to last season. Became our best scorer, our top guy. He was a really good player towards the end of the year. So I saw, okay, this guy's kind of turning this, he's kind of turning himself into a real basketball player. And I thought that would really continue this year. And it has. Like he's still getting better, improving, and he's still learning how to play. But there are times he gets the ball, and it's like, Cario, what are you doing? Like he doesn't know what to do with the ball yet. And he, I think he'll continue to get there. I think he needs to come back for another year. I know he's a crazy athlete. He might try to go pro for this year. I don't know. Sometimes that happens. A lot of strange decisions that are made sometimes from these these college level basketball players. But if he comes back another year, continues to polish his game, fine tune things, and become more of a complete offensive player, and actually like develop a game because he doesn't really have an offensive game. He's just an athlete right now. He's got he's really improved as a three point shooter. He is shooting over 30% this year. He's shooting like 34%, almost 34%, which is a significant improvement from last year for Cario. So he's he, you can see the improvement, but he's still got a ways to go. He's not there yet. Um, he's a junior. He's 6'4". He's got a pre- pretty thick body. It's gotten thicker this year. He's about 220. Like He's got the physical profile. He's just got to continue to polish his game. So if he if he stays another year, guys, like watch out. If we can if we can get him back and Terry Roberts technically is a senior, I think he still has his COVID year though. Uh, they were actually teammates. The reason we were able to get Terry Roberts from Bradley is him and Kerry Oquindo were teammates at, at the JUCO level down in Florida, and so they, they kind of had that relationship. So that was our end for Terry. So if Terry comes back, which I mean, guys, Terry is six three, one hundred eighty pounds. Like he's not an NBA guy right now. He, 
I hope he comes back. Hope he doesn't transfer. He's had a big year, so maybe he's going to try to go to a bigger program. I don't know. But if we can get him and Cario back in the backcourt again next year, like that's that's a that's pretty damn good, guys. Like we're going to have a chance to do some damage next year if we get both those guys back. And then, you know, you can say Cario's a guard. I, I think he's a guard. You can call him a wing if you want. I don't think he's a wing. I think we play a three-guard lineup. And the, the other guard, our, our two-guard that starts is a guy named Mardrez McBride. We got him as a transfer from North Texas. Mardrez is really struggling this year, guys. Um, He was a guy that I was excited to land. He's from Georgia originally. He's a small dude. I mean, by basketball standards, 6'2", 180 pounds. I was excited to get him because he came in here with a reputation as a good three-point shooter. You know, two years ago at North Texas, he shot 41.5%. Last year, he thought he shot 39% from three. And I was like, cool, this is a guy that can kind of space the court for us. He has struggled to shoot the ball this year, guys. He's shooting under 33% this year, so a significant drop-off from where I was, from where he's been shooting 32.8% from three. And if he's not hitting threes, he doesn't do a ton to help us win. Uh, he starts. He doesn't play a ton of minutes. He plays like under 20 minutes a game. He plays some good defense. I'll give him that. But he's kind of undersized. Like he's out there. He's he'll he doesn't blow a lot of assignments. He he, he gives a lot of effort on defense. But he needs to be hitting threes. So that's kind of why we brought this guy in. And right now he is not. So he doesn't play as much. He starts. He doesn't play usually a ton in the second half. And behind him, we have a couple of different guys we bring in. We have a guy that we got from Alabama as a transfer. Um, his name is Jaswan Holt. We call him Juice Holt. And he is he is a really interesting prospect. He's a guy that has a lot of length and a lot of athleticism, but he is an offensive liability. He gives us absolutely nothing on the offensive end. He's a great defensive player. He brings a lot of energy off the bench. I don't want to call him a shutdown defender, but that length, he does a really good job of, of defending opposing backcourt players. He does a really good job rebounding. Like he's a valuable piece for us. The problem is, and this is one of the problems we have overall as a team, we have too many guys on the court at a given time that really give us nothing offensively. Like far too often, it's basically Terry or Terry or Carrier they're gonna score for us, and if they don't, then we struggle. Like Holtz averaging three point two points per game. If you look at his numbers from three, he has like kind of a push three point shot. He is shooting right now. Let's see, I have got it right here. He is shooting thirty one percent from three. He's taken he takes an average of two a game. He's shooting 31%. It's just not It's not good enough. But he plays about 20 minutes a game for us because he brings a lot of value on the defensive end. The other guy that we roll in there, and he's kind of he's kind of a combo. He's like a 3-4. Like he can play. He's a wing, basically. And his name is Jabri Abdur-Rahim. Some of you guys have been around for a while. You remember Sharif Abdur-Rahim? This is his son. Um, he's got a very different game than his dad. He is a three-point shooter specialist. That's what this guy does. And he is definitely the best shooter on our team. Sometimes he takes some ill-advised shots, and that's why his three-point percentage might not be as high as you would otherwise think. But he's shooting 40% from three right now. He's clearly our best three-point shooter. I think he knocked down five, I want to say, uh, against Vandy on Saturday. He's kind of what brought us back and kept us in that game when things were not looking so great for us. He plays uh, between 15 and 20 minutes a game, depending on the game. Um, he's a guy that has gotten better on the defensive end. Like last year, he was not good on defense. He was just disinterested. Earlier this season, he wasn't playing a ton because of that same issue. But he is really bought in. I want to give that guy a lot of credit. He's playing much harder. Um, he's really actually trying to play defense. He is rebounding well for us. I think he needs to play more minutes, to be honest with you, because that, I mean, you want some scoring punch off the bench. I get that, but we need scoring options. So far too often we go in these scoring droughts and he's a guy that can certainly help us because he's the best shooter on the team, can stretch the floor a little bit for us. So I would like to see him play a little bit more than he does. But he does have some defensive limitations, so I understand why he doesn't play as much, and that's why Juice Holt gets some run in these games as well. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But that same issue is also something that we see at the center position where you have two guys that basically play the same position. One of them is a really good defensive player, while the other player gives you more of a scoring punch, but is more of a liability on the defensive end. And at center, we have Braylon Bridges, who was one of our better players last year. He's one of the few returners that we have on this year's roster. He was one of the few bright spots for our 2021-2022 team, at least from an offensive standpoint. He led the team last year by a really wide margin in field goal percentage. This guy shot 63% from the field last year from the center position. He was one of the leaders in the entire SEC. For a while, he actually led the SEC. I can't remember if he actually ended up finishing the season as the top field goal percentage in the SEC, but he was certainly up there in that conversation. He's a really skilled post scorer. He's got good footwork. He can score over his left shoulder or his right shoulder. He's left-handed, so he's actually a little bit better over his right shoulder, but he can score over his left shoulder with no problem whatsoever. He does a really good job of feeling the leverage of the defender and knowing which way to go with the ball. Problem for him, like you see with Jabri Abdurrahim, is he has defensive issues. He's 6'11", so you'd think he'd be a really good post defender, but he's not, because he's not a great athlete. Even though he's 6'11", almost 250, he's just not a great athlete. He's not a big jumper or anything like that. He actually averages under a half a block a game. He averages 0.3 blocks per game. Last year, slightly better, 0.4 blocks per game. He also doesn't rebound as well as you would think he would at that size, as well as you would like him to. I mean, guys, this dude played 28 minutes a game last year, only averaged five and a half rebounds. He's playing 20 minutes a game right now. He's playing a lot more than that currently, but he didn't play as much early in this season, which I'll get to here in a second, but he's only averaging four and a half rebounds this season. So he doesn't give you a ton from a rebounding, a shot blocking standpoint in the post and is just kind of an average defender. He just doesn't have that athleticism. So that's why when he he faces up against a strong athletic big like Oscar Shibway from Kentucky, he really struggles. Guys, I mean, last week, Shibway absolutely torched us. He had 37 points and 24 rebounds. Now, a big part of that is the way we went about defending him. Our strategy going into that game was basically to allow Shibway to have his, but not allow the other players on Kentucky's perimeter to get involved and really stay, stay out on them and don't overhelp on Shibway. And that backfired on us in a big way to the tune of 37 points and 24 rebounds. And a big part of that was Braylon Bridges simply could not handle Shibway one-on-one in the post, which was obvious. There's no way he was going to be able to do that. But that was just, uh, man, that, that was a tough night for him and for our team in general. But he does give us that scoring punch on the interior. And early in the season, guys, Bridges was really not playing a lot at all. We had this guy, he's a true freshman, 
His name was Kyron Lindsey. We didn't have a ton of true freshmen. I think he was actually the only recruit in this this freshman incoming freshman class for Mike White. We really went heavily on the transfer portal trying to get more experience. And Lindsey was starting to open the season and playing a good number number of minutes. Bridges really wasn't playing a lot at all. I mean, the first couple games, he had, he had a fair amount of, of PT. He was playing 20 minutes in the first game, 18, then 11, and then down to four, then down to four minutes. And then we realized, okay, like we're not getting enough from Lindsey and from the next guy we're talking about, Frank Anselm, in terms of scoring from that post position, post position, from the center position. So you start to see Bridges get more opportunities. He responded against UAB, got 21 minutes in that game, 10 points, and against Hampton, I know it's Hampton, whatever, but played 25 minutes, responded with 21 points, had a huge game against Notre Dame on December 18th. Only played 18 minutes in that game, but was 9 for 9 from the field for 18 points. And from that point on, he became our starting center. Like, it was pretty obvious he was going to be that guy. And Lindsey just up and transferred in the middle of the season. He's like, I'm out. Like, he's in the portal now. I guess you, I don't know if you can actually enter the portal at this point, but he's declared his intention to enter the transfer portal, and he's no longer a part of our program. So he kind of took his ball and went home because he didn't like the fact that he lost his playing time. And that was a real shame because I liked Lindsey. I thought Lindsey was going to be a really good player for us. I thought he was the type of guy that if he didn't ever enter the transfer portal, which clearly he did before the first season, he was even got to the midway point. But he was the kind of guy that wasn't going to be an NBA guy after his first year or second year or third year. I thought he was probably going to be a four-year program type guy because his game and size really just didn't translate as much to the NBA. So I thought he was a guy that would stick around for four years and grow and improve. And by the time he was a senior, would be like a big-time player for us in the SEC. But it wasn't meant to be. He's gone. I don't want to spend any more time talking about him. So who are we left with at the center position? So we've got Braylon Bridges, who is a starter. He's more of an offensive guy, more of a defensive liability. And then backing him up, we have a transfer from Syracuse, a guy named Frank Anselm, who is tall and long. He's a really good defender, a really good shot blocker. He plays about 15 minutes a game, is averaging just under one block a game, gets about three and a half rebounds a game, doesn't score much. He's only averaging three points a game, is not a good free throw shooter, he's only shooting 58% from the, from the free throw line, but he's a guy that brings a lot of energy, a lot of athleticism off the bench, is a really good defensive big man. He just doesn't score, so it's kind of like what we have at that third guard or small four position, whatever you want to classify that as, we have a guy that can score, but doesn't give us much defensively. And then we have a guy that's really good defensively, good length, good athleticism, but is an offensive liability that gives us no scoring threat whatsoever. So it's kind of like, well, which guy do we go with? It just kind of depends on the game, depends on who's hot, depends on the situation. Ideally, in the future, we will find a guy that gives us the best of both worlds, a guy that's long, athletic, but can also score, can defend and can score. We don't have that right now. We have to substitute one guy for offense, one guy for defense, and we have to do that at multiple positions, which is obviously something that's kind of holding us back to a degree here as we try to some way, somehow get some traction and make the NCAA tournament, which again, it's that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. But this team doesn't know that. They're shooting for that. That's the goal. But those are the kind of things that we need to do to really enhance our roster. And the last guy that I want to talk about, I should have mentioned him earlier, he plays the three spot for us. Well, he's kind of like a combo four. He can play the three, he can play the four. He can really function as a five, and we've done that at times. We've gone small. We don't do it a ton, but we have played some small ball. His name is Matthew Alexander Moncrief. He's a transfer from Oklahoma State, goes by M.A. Moncrief. And he's a starter for us, plays about 23 minutes a game, doesn't give us much scoring punch. So he averages under seven points a game, but he's a really, really good rebounder, 5.3 points, 5.3 rebounds per game, I should say. Gives us some good defense as well as averaging a half a block a game from that position, playing 23 minutes a game. He's another guy that's long, athletic, 
but just doesn't have much of an offensive game. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit and take it to the rim, but it has it's basically a strong straight-ahead drive. Like He doesn't have much offensive game. He's not going to be a guy that crosses someone up. He cannot shoot to save his life. He is shooting, let's see right now, he is shooting... He is shooting 0% from three-point range. In fact, he is shooting 0% from three for his entire career. The dude has not attempted one single three-point shot in three years at the college level. I guess there's something to be said for like knowing who you are and leaning into that. There's something to that. But it'd also be nice if this guy could learn to shoot a little bit. I mean, 6'8", 215. He has NBA-level athleticism, but... He has no offensive game. He cannot shoot. Like he's basically an around the rim, put back kind of guy. And and he can do that's where he gets his points and he can clean up around the rim and do that. And that there's some value in that. But if this guy could take his game to the next level and become a just an, an average shooter, at least a, be able to be a competent shooter, then this could be a guy that averages, you know, 12, 13, 14 points a game, could get those five, six, seven rebounds a game, and could potentially be a guy that could could make a pro career. But if he does not learn to develop some more of an offensive game, it's going to be college level as a ceiling for him. But he does give us a lot from a defensive perspective. He can clean up around the rim. There's value to that, but you can't stay on the court consistently when you basically give us no offense whatsoever. And that's, again, that's the problem. We have too many guys on the court at one given time that simply can't score for us. Like, really, of our starters... There's two guys, two and a half guys that I trust to be able to score for us. Terry Roberts is a consistent scoring threat every night because he has to be. He's a volume shooter. He doesn't shoot a high percentage, but he makes some really tough shots, and he is our go-to scorer. Kerry Oquindo can be that guy. He's been that guy at points this season, but he's far too inconsistent from a scoring perspective. He relies too much on other people like Terry Roberts setting him up. I just don't think Cario is assertive enough offensively. He's got so much athleticism, so much like God-given ability. If he becomes more assertive, then this guy could be a, a pushing close to a 20-point scorer in the SEC. Like he's got that much ability. He's got to polish that game. I think it's a confidence thing right now in terms of like, I think he realizes that he doesn't have a lot of answers offensively. He's developed the three-point shot, which is, is a much improved shot from where it was last year. But again, like it, if he gets a lane, he can put his head down, put the ball on the floor, and get to the rim just with sheer athleticism. He's a guy that you can throw the lob up to, but he just doesn't have enough of an offensive game. or doesn't really have much of a mid-range game. Isn't a great ball handler yet, but I'll still call him a scoring threat for us. So him and Terry Roberts are two big scoring threats. Braylon Bridges at times can be a post scorer for us. He's on or off at times, but he can score in the post. He's one of those kind of guys, but he can't play consistently in the post because he gets eaten alive by competent post players like Oscar Shibway. And then we, then we have to bring in Anselm as a defensive guy, a defensive stopper, but he gives us nothing offensively. And then Moncrief, is when he's on the court, great defensive player, gives us nothing offensively. Marjorie's McBride, if he's not hitting threes, which he hasn't been hitting much of them this year, he doesn't really give us anything offensively. Then you bring in Holt as a guy off the bench to really be more of a defensive stopper, gives you nothing offensively. Then you have to bring in Jabri Abdurrahim when we when the when the offense gets kind of stagnant, and he can knock some threes down, but you give up something defensively when you bring him in. So that's the problem. Like the the the, van- the advantage we do have is we have a lot of depth. Like we have a lot of guys that play. We have not really cut our rotation much at all. We have basically played nine guys a game, double figure minutes just about that and then we have a guy who was really kind of our best player early last season through nine games before he tore his ACL he transferred from Florida Atlantic and that's uh, Jalen Ingram he's come back he came back 
early in the non-conference slate. He's still not close to 100%, but he's back, and you can tell he's kind of working himself back into shape. He was playing close to 10 minutes a game. His minutes have been cut recently. He's playing about five or six minutes a game right now, but uh, he's just kind of working himself back into playing shape. But we do have options. That's the one advantage that Mike White has is we have a bunch of guys that we trust. I'm looking at right now. We've got one, two, three, four. We have nine guys averaging double-figure minutes in SEC play. The problem is not enough of them are complete players. But here's the one big thing I will give every single player on this team. And this is, I think, the biggest reason for the turnaround this year. Yes, Mike White is a very good coach. He knows what he's doing. But what strikes me more than anything watching this year's team compared to last year's team is the effort. The effort, the want to, the drive, it's there in a way this year that it it just wasn't last year. That's just the reality. And I think that's Mike White. I think that's Mike White, the culture, the expectations, the demands that he's putting on these guys. Again, like we have some dudes that are liabilities on defensive end, but when they're in, they at least try. Last year, like Braylon Bridges, I wondered if he was even trying sometimes on the defensive end. Same thing with Jabri Abdur-Rahim. Maybe they just weren't being coached up, but it looked like the effort was lacking on that end, and you saw that in the results. This year, not the case. Jabri Abdur-Rahim is playing as hard as he can. Like That dude is playing like his hair is on fire out there, not just on offense. This is what he was doing last year in the early parts of this year. He has bought in defensively on the, on the glass, and he is fighting for every inch, every second of playing time. And that's something that gives me a lot of confidence moving forward because that's something that when you establish that culture, that doesn't go away. You know, like your talent can fluctuate from year to year, but that culture of toughness, of physicality, of playing hard, of effort, that's something that you can carry on year after year after year. And that is the kind of thing that breeds success long term. Again, I don't think this is an insulated tournament team. For that to happen, they're going to have to pull some serious upsets that right now with the roster that I just went over, I don't see us doing. I don't see us winning enough of those games. Could we win one or two of them? Sure. Like We are good enough and we play hard enough and we have a good enough coaching staff to think that it's certainly reasonable to think that we could pull off one of these upsets, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Missouri, Kentucky at home, maybe Florida at home. I guess that would be considered an upset at this point. Like We can pull one of those upsets. I mean, heck, we already beat Auburn, and that's a team that's a better roster than us, That, but we just we wanted that game more than they did. If you watch that one, you can see that. So we have enough talent to do that. I just don't think we have the roster right now to win enough of those types of games to put us in the NCAA conversation because we're not there. Like We're not like we're not even like Joe Lenardi now with his bracketology has expanded it out to it used to be just like he would stop it at first four out, and then he added the next four out. And now he's added teams also under consideration. We're not even in the teams also under consideration category right now. Like we're not even like a a, a thought in Joe Lenardi's mind. But that's okay. And I I know that making the tournament moving forward is going to be our goal. But in year one, again, I I go back to what I said earlier. I I just never thought that was the goal. I mean, in my mind, of course, I always want to make the NCAA tournament. But I knew coming into the season that that was not likely. And that's not like I wasn't going to judge the success or failure of this season based on whether or not we made the NCAA tournament. I was looking more for progress. And we have clearly seen that. And you know what? I think a lot of these guys will stick around for another year. At least I hope they do. And if that happens, like if we can keep Kerry Oquindo on this roster, if Terry Roberts chooses to come back for for his COVID year, if Jabri Abdur-Rahim sticks around, if M.A. Moncrief, if we can keep a guy like, like Juice Hold around, these are guys, even Frank Anselm, like I like all of these guys. They're all really unpolished and they've got to continue to improve their games. So if we can keep this core around and add a piece or two, 
next year, this absolutely could be an NCAA tournament team next year. Like if Kerry Oquindo can take that next step and bring his production more consistently in line with his athletic ability, we could be a really, really dangerous team in the SEC, especially if Terry Roberts come, comes back. As Like I said earlier, he's the best player on the team right now. He's the most productive and best player on this team. If he comes back, Cario takes this game to the next level, which I, which I think is reasonable to expect because of the improvement we've seen this year from him. And if we get some of those role players back with, with like Abdur Rahim, with Anselm, Moncrief, Holt, and then add an, an impact player or two, whether it's from the portal or, the, or the, the high school ranks, I really think this team could be an NCAA tournament team next year. Not just a team that could make the NCAA tournament. I think it could potentially be a team that could win a game or two. I really believe that. Now, we're a ways away from that. We're not there yet. It's not this year. But I'm just looking for positive trends right now. I'm looking for us to continue this momentum, to win as many games as we can, to put our program on solid footing, to create a, a more positive perception of our program, building some excitement and momentum within the fan base, and just bringing this program to a point where we can actually go into a season thinking, hey, this team has a chance to make some noise, not just in the regular season, but in the postseason as well. I think we're making strides getting to that point. I think we're moving in the right direction. We're not there yet, but I think sooner rather than later, we will be there. But all right, guys, that's all I've got for you today. So this was kind of, again, this, I'm calling it the midseason report. It's a little bit more than the midseason report, but hey, we're going to jump in here right now, and we're going to talk some more basketball throughout the rest of the regular season into the postseason, the SEC tournament as well. I would love to do like a weekly recap preview episode because we play one weekday game and one game on Saturday. I would love to do like the second episode of the week for the next couple of weeks being an episode where I recap what happened in the weekday game and kind of preview the week ahead into going into the Saturday game. I would love to do that. But again, like we try to make this a show of the people and I really want to make sure we're producing content that you guys are into. So if it's something that like none of you are interested in, like we'll see how this episode does. We'll see what the numbers do. We'll see what the feedback is that we get. If you guys aren't into it, let me know. Like I want to make sure I'm producing stuff that, that you're interested in. But I also want to give some love to other programs out there so if you enjoy this Georgia basketball talk if you want more of it if you'd be into maybe me doing this like make this a weekly or at least semi-weekly kind of thing let me know give me some feedback online hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA you can hit us up on Instagram just look up glory UGA podcast also you can email us if that's easier for you and that's glory UGA podcast at gmail.com thank you guys for listening to this I appreciate it. I know it's not football talk I know it's a little bit outside of our comfort zone but this is something I've been wanting to do and I'm glad we got a chance to finally sit down and do it. Also, don't forget Alumni Hall. If you're in the market for some national championship gear, whether it's for yourself or your kids, family members, whoever it is, make sure to get that at alumnihall.com. You have the best selection, the best prices, best customer service, the best of everything. Make sure to check them out, whether it's online at alumnihall.com or in store inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens. Thank you again, guys. I love you. Appreciate you. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.